Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Spaz. Hello. Sadly, neither Jim nor Hunter could join us this week. Jim has is having hardware issues, and Hunter's in the middle of a move, and we all know how horrible that is. Uh, no, uh, Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I never want to move ever, ever, ever again. It's the worst. Um, so uh, we wish them well, uh, but we do have a guest this week joining us from Redmond, Oregon, not Washington. Redmond, Oregon. Different Redmond. <laughs> I just I just thought yep. of that. Uh, I'm going to try it, Walter. Walter Lacroix. How was that? Yep. Is that, is that good? Close enough, yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or as we Americans might say it, Walter LaCroix from uh, Redmond, Oregon, to talk about what has really been, for us, one of the most pleasant surprises of 2017 so far, uh, Starfleet Armada Rogue Adventures. Welcome, Walter. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we are glad to have you because your game has kind of caught a lot of people by surprise. I remember when I first saw it, I was like, what is this? <laughs> where, where did this come from? <laughs> uh, so before we get into uh, Starfleet, and that's Starfleet with two words, folks, just just yes. to, just to be clear, because <laughs> when I started playing this for my when I started playing this for my Let's Play, people thought I was playing the uh, RTS from uh, from the mid aughts, I think, or the early aughts. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. Starfleet is two words. Um, but we were, we were uh, touching upon the fact that um, you've been making games for quite a while. So let's go back to the beginning. I believe you said uh, around 85 you started making games. Yeah, which kind of gives my age away. <laughs> but yeah, uh, mid-80s, I, was, uh, I got my first computer. I had never done programming or anything before that. I never even owned a computer. And I bought a Commodore 64 computer for 99 bucks and uh, loved it. And uh, within nine months of getting the computer, I wrote and had my first game published, which was pretty remarkable back then. So, yeah, I loved it. So now how did you get a game published when they're really, I mean, was it through like a service like CompuServe that existed at the time? Is that how you got in touch with people? Yeah. No, things have changed so much back then. What you had to do is you would create your own game. Then you would have to get a book that had phone numbers, addresses, contact information for uh, publishers, game publishers. And that's what that's how you would do it. What's then you go through. What's a book? Yeah, they actually had books back then that had that information because <laughs> so. you had no internet back then. I mean, there was, if it was, it was not very far along and it, there was just no other way to do it other than going either to a library and, and going through a book or going and buying a book, which is what I did. I went and bought a book. It had a list of all the game publishers in there. I mean, I, I sent, I sent my first game to electronic arts, uh, SSI, which was strategic simulations incorporated, which was a, a big one back then. I uh, miss, I'm, I miss them every day. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt, but I miss them Indeed. every, every day. Yeah. And them, and, them, and Microprose. them and Microprose are the two I miss yep. every day. Yeah. Uh, sorry, please, please continue. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. So, yeah, so I, I, you know, 
bought the computer, started making my first game, which was a boxing game. It's called Pro Boxing. Uh, it was basically two boxers uh, made out of back then the Commodore 64 used, you know, sprites. And back then the, the resolution was 320 by 200. And you only had eight colors to work with. And then you could also incorporate like background characters to make stuff as well. I mean, there was all kinds of tri- tricks you could do. And you only had 64K to work with. So you didn't have a whole lot of memory to work with. So I, you know, made the game, bought a book, sent it to about five or six publishers. Uh, Electronic Arts was one of them. Uh, SSI was one. Um, and they all, you know, rejected it. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm getting rejected left and right, which, you know, happens a lot. So finally, I, um, I hadn't heard back from a company called Artworks. So I, I called them up and uh, I introduced myself and said, hey, this is Walter LaCroix. Uh, I sent in a game. Uh, to be reviewed, I was just calling to see, you know, what you guys had thought about it. And she goes, oh, she goes, well, Arthur wants to talk to you. And I go, oh, my God, good. This is good news. So Arthur Walsh, who was the um, the owner and the CEO of Artworks, uh, basically said that they wanted to publish the game. Uh, it was going to be on – they were actually going to be putting two games on one uh, disc, and they were going to market it that way with two games. So I was actually on the, on the second side of, of – of another game as well, oh, which man. is how my first game got started. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so and it was a low cost game. So I think the game was only like, like five ninety nine or four ninety nine for both games. So didn't make a ton of money, but that was my foot in the door. And then I ended up uh, going on to write four or five more games for them. Uh, I did Hole in One Golf, which did pretty well. Then I did uh, Daily Double Horse Racing. That was by far my best game. That got uh, sold pretty well in, in uh, the UK. Uh, it was basically a, a betting game with animated horses, and it got ported over to uh, the, the went from the Commodore 64 and went over to the Amiga, the uh, the Macintosh as well. Uh, so it, it got ported to a couple other you know ones as well. So. I found it. I found it here on Moby Games. My God. Yeah. 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 The, the only game I can't, well, and then I, I wrote another one called Beach Blanket Volleyball, which didn't do really well because it just, it just didn't. Back then, the computer was so slow that trying to get a person to be able to control the, the, the person hitting the ball, you know, it was just really kind of difficult. But, you know, it was kind of a cool game anyways. But that's kind of how I got started in it. And, you know, I've been a, a gamer ever since, you know, playing lots of games and uh, designing and programming them as well. So when did the journey of Starfleet Armada begin? Well, I've always loved the game. I had the original Star Control. Uh, I had Star Control 2 as well. Uh, I bought 3 and uh and, we don't uh, talk about three. We don't talk. Yeah, we won't talk about There's, three. Yeah. There was no three. There was no three. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, a sad disappointment. Everything that, that made Star Control too good, which was the feeling like there was depth to the the universe you were in. Things took a while to get there. They they took that away. I mean, you could jump from one place to another just literally quick, and it was just it just kind of made things feel real small. I don't know how you guys felt about it. It had none of the charm of the first two games. None yeah, of it. Agreed. It, it was it was yeah. lacking. The gameplay was 
like they made it they tr- it's like they tried to make it more simmy or something so it was more complicated and yet nowhere near as fun and the writing was yeah. just so flat so yeah. flat i yeah i tried i was so disappointed with with that oh yeah. my god i think they spent too much time on the the animatronics part of it because they that was really the first game that used right that way and I think they just spent so much resource that they didn't have anything left for anything else, I guess. Oh my god, you're probably not wrong. I forgot about that whole animatronics thing. Yeah. That they made a big deal out of that. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh I've, I've put a lot of that behind me. I, I blocked a lot of it out. Now I'm like, oh god, yeah. Those. And there was another game at the time that kind of used some animatronic stuff called um millennia altered destinies and but it used it very sparingly <laughs> and it is actually a good game <laughs> <laughs> i never did play that game oh it's excellent if you can track it down it's it's a really unique game that just works right out of the box with dos box you can track down yeah. a cheap copy it's really it's worth real what, what other space game I'd like to see come out would be another ascendancy have you ever oh, played that game? Yes. Uh, we I've done we we did a whole podcast. We brought another guy on who oh, runs a four X site and we talked we gushed about ascendancy for two hours. Yeah, love. I would love to see a second one of that. They oh, they ported it over to I think uh what uh mobile devices, but that was it. And and so. it doesn't even exist on those anymore. Apparently it's yeah. been removed or something. And it was it was a great game. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so how how got influenced? So yeah, so basically, I've always been a big fan of Star Control Two. I wanted to make a game um, because it, it it went so long without seeing a a fourth one, you know. And with the the, the flop of the third one, I, the the interest was there. I knew, but I just wanted, I just didn't have the resources to do it. So back in two thousand two thousand four, I got my computer out and just started. Uh, back then, of course, you, if you wanted to do graphics, you didn't use Word. You had to use Publisher <laughs> because back then, Microsoft Word didn't do that kind of stuff. Oh, God, Publisher, so right. I started using Publisher, and I started creating you know, stats and stuff for the game. I, I actually have hand-drawn drawings of about 25 or 30 of the races that I have in my, in my game because I named them all, and then I drew up you know, just in a, a regular pencil what I thought they would look like. And I, I would still eventually like to get that information to the game with maybe another patch down the road when I could find someone that's willing to help me do some of these graphics. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, so it started off that. Uh, and then when I started making the game, uh, I started the game, uh, when was it, around 2013, I started programming. I got a hold of a, a, game, a, a program called GameMaker. Now, you've probably heard of it by now. Sure, yeah. yeah. Oh, is that what this it's is built that, in? Game Maker? That's, this is built with Game Maker. Now, Game Maker is wow. kind of designed. It's really not designed for stuff like this, but you can do stuff like this. And I kind of tend to push the limits of, of the application that I'm using because no one really tried to make anything like this where it's not like levels. That's Most games made in Game Maker are made with level one, level two, level three, and then you attach all these rooms together. And basically, a room is a window that pops up and you can have the window be there or not be there. You can switch between different rooms or windows. So, and I learned that really it, it works just like, it works better than basic. Cause that's why I, I learned on, I learned on basic and basic is just too slow for what I want to do. 
when I started fooling around with how the collisions work and how fast everything moves with GameMaker, I realized that I could actually make my game. So I, in 2013, the middle of the year, I started des- taking my designs of the, of the star control that I wanted to do, which I obviously couldn't call star control. And I actually started to make a game just like star control. The, the original melee battle was one ship versus one ship. And I had made an editor that led, that would let you edit the ships you could create, there was like 70 different stats that, that, that you could create different uh, looks for the missiles, different looks for uh, different sounds. You could attach sounds with certain things and make them do certain things. So I had basically all the, the weapons that were in Star Control 2, I had duplicated in my editor. And it was really cool. And the, the, the combat worked really well. It, was, it scrolled around and you, it, it basically was like playing Star Control 2. But like I said, when I got about a year into that, and then Stardock made the mention of, oh, we just bought the rights for Star Control 2, I realized that I couldn't compete with them to make a game that's going to be just like Star Control 2. So I had to change my focus. So about three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, I took what I had, saved, made a save of it so I had the original back. So if I ever want to go back, I can go back and you know make the other one if I want to. But I can completely change the way it works now, and I made it a smaller game where you actually get scores now. And that's kind of why I did what I did with the scoring and, and stuff. I wanted to make it a shorter game, and I didn't want it to compete with the new Star Control that's going to come out. So, Well, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating what you have created. Now, folks, if you're not familiar with Starfleet or Modern Rogue Adventures, basically... Uh, you're you're in a sector of space with a fleet, and uh, your fleet is made of specific ships, which have specific abilities and a specific amount of crew, and your goal is to defeat a primary enemy that is at the center of the sector. And how you get there is entirely up to you, but you do need to work on getting resources to upgrade your ships and get uh, upgrade your stats, and there's a role-playing element to it, there's arcade elements to it, it's... it's there's a lot going on here, man. There's a lot going on here. And there's... You can land on planets. You can land on ships. You can land on star bases. You can uh, fly around the you sun. You can buy new ships. You can buy new ships. You can fly around the sun. You can t- you can cre- you can find wormholes. Just, there's so much in this game. It's, it's kind of insane, actually. In the best way. <laughs> <laughs> equal equal parts insane and impressive, I must say. Yeah, yeah. I, I packed a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> you did. It, and, you did. Yeah. And the, and the amazing thing is, folks, he, he keeps packing more stuff in there. Like, not a week goes by where there's at least one patch for this thing, which is in this day and age fairly impressive. Yeah, I I, I look back. I printed up all my patches, and I the game was version one 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 three six. So the next patch that comes out is one 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 four eight. Oh my god! So I've had like eleven or twelve patches already, and a lot of them add new content. And I actually, during the podcast, I want to go over you know with what each one I did, so you can kind of see how how it's been evolving. Oh, let's kind of- let's let's start. So the base game, okay. which is what uh, folks, what you're seeing in the video, because I made the video shortly after this came the game came out. Yeah, you were the- Yep, you were the first person to actually make a video on it. So oh, really? That. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, yay. You were the first video to come out. So that was, oh, that that's great. Out. I'm very happy to hear that. I hope it I hope it uh, sold a few copies. Yeah, yeah. 
But um, but yeah, folks. Uh, basically, what you're seeing on the video is uh, the first release version of the game, which um, already had a ton of stuff. I mean, you choose a race, and they're all different in their own way. And you fly around planets, you get resources, you upgrade your ships with new weapons, and it's just there's so much to do. But let's talk about what you've added since. You said you printed out the notes. Let's uh, let's go through. Yeah. It. So. And I'm only going to go over the, the patches where I actually added new content. There was a sure. lot of patches that I had that just fixed the errors. Because like any other game, you're going to have, you know, and I tried to, tried to you know, hopefully reduce the amount of critical errors I had. And I had a few in the game that, that have got ironed out. So basically the game was launched on the 5th, the evening of the 5th, uh, which was a mon- Monday night at about 6 o'clock. So... Uh, on the 7th, which was like a day and a half later, I had a patch, and uh, that patch, this, what I added there is uh, when you go to a research station uh, you and you can sell life forms, I added a sell all life form button. So you can sell all the life forms that you have. So that was something that somebody requested. They thought it would be, be cool, and I agreed, so I, I added that button. So that wasn't a big change, but it was you know, only two days later. So. And then on June 11th, uh, patch 11140, which was a couple patches in between, uh, I added uh, – the game already had gamepad uh, control, so I wanted to make the game as much compatible with people's play style. So I have mouse control, keyboard. I have a hybrid of keyboard and mouse combined, which I used to like playing until I got the gamepad going. And then there's there's the gamepad, which the gamepad used uh, – you would move the stick left or right to rotate, and then you'd push it forward or back to go forward and backwards. Well, we've, I had people say, well, I would rather have a directional one. So then I added directional gamepad. So now you want the plant lander to move up to the right. You just move the stick in the direction you want the plant lander to go, and it goes. Same thing with your way team. So there's two gamepad modes, actually. There's the, the standard one, which is I call it relative, and then there's the directional. So... And I guess I guess people have been using the the new Steam controller too, and they said it actually really? works pretty well with it. Once they because the Steam controller is not really a a gamepad per se. It basically maps out the buttons to be keystrokes or functions from a regular gamepad. So it, it's kind of it's kind of a cool device, and I actually want to get one. So anyhow, so I added the gamepad control. So. Uh, that was a big thing because that took a little while to do, which is why it took me a couple extra days to get, to get that out there. And then um, a small thing, when you – a new, neutral races, uh, can you can either f- be friends with them, stay neutral, or you could attack them, and then they dislike you, and then the rebels like you. So neutrals are kind of a thing where you could go one way or the other, depending on how you want to play it, or you can keep them neutral. Well, on the, the neutral star base – part of the requirements required to go to a neutral star base was a battle stat. That didn't really apply because you can never attack a neutral star base. It had to be one that was dislike or worse. So I took that stat out of there. So, but I kept it in with a neutral fleet because a neutral fleet you could attack, but just not their star base. And of course, once you attack the fleet, then their star base was no longer neutral. It was now they disliked you and then you could attack them. So and then in, on June 16th, patch uh, 4.1, uh, I basically uh, increased the turn rate and the uh, for ships and also uh, for fighter squads. I made them a little bit faster, and so, which also made their turn rate a lot better. So that was a small thing. And then uh, patch 
uh, 0.42 on June 17th. Uh, this one had this one was a big one because and you haven't played it since I added the uh, the movement path. So now when you're in a combat and you see your ships there, it actually has a line that shows you the direction that they're going to be moving. So oh, if nice. You, if, if you told if you told them to make a right turn, you'll see this this circle arc around, and then you know it'll either keep on going circular or it'll go out straight. And that's for both your ships and the enemy ships. And it goes out about 500 pixels, so it goes out pretty far. But the enemies, you only see about one-fourth of their line, and I did that for a reason for upcoming content. And I'll get into that Ooh. when I start going some of that stuff. So basically you can now, when you when you when your lines are in green, the, the uh, enemy ships are in red, and then there's buttons that you can toggle on and off for each of them. So you can turn yours, your... Um, uh, lines off or on and then there's off or on. So they can both be on, they can both be off, they could be one or the other. So it gives you some flexibility. I like using it with the paths because I like to see where I'm going. And then when you click yeah. on a ship to move it, the arc follows your the mouse so you can see exactly what your ship, will, where it will go if you then left click to place it there. Because there was a lot of confusion with how do I move my ship, if I can even move my, the direction of my ship. People didn't know how to do it, so... So that was the big thing, uh, and that was, and then also when you do the mass aim, you hit the button, and then all the things point towards that one spot. So you can see all these. It's kind of cool to do that. You press the button, and then you move the mouse over, and as you move it, all these lines are drawn from each of the ships to the mouse. So if you have like you know ten ships out there, there's t- ten lines being drawn out, and it's kind of cool to watch that happen. But but that's really useful in combat. I've only done combat. I tr- I tend to try to avoid it, so I've only done it a few times, and I get my butt whooped every every time. But that won't happen anymore. So oh, good. that's changed a lot. So oh, good. yeah, combat is a lot a lot different now. So oh good. But See, and what, then in, uh, sorry, go ahead. The next eighteenth. Oh, go ahead. No, no. Let's finish up the the patch stuff that you've added, and we'll, okay. we'll continue from there. So, and then on the 17th or the 18th of June, um, I made some adjustments to the recharge time of the, some of the ship bays. It was taking too long, like the cargo ship, uh, to use the repair drone. It, it just took too long to charge up, so I reduced that. Uh, I also added the ability to make your uh, away team or plant lander move backwards, even if you're using the mouse or the directional gamepad. So there's actually a way to, you know, with, with the mouse, I think it's uh, hitting uh, – the space bar while you have the mouse pointed yeah, will make it's the, the space bar. move backwards. Yeah. So it's kind of, kind of cool to have that ability, especially if you're fighting, you know, an uh, alien bioform and they're trying to attack you. So, and then on the 19th, uh, this is cool. And you'll like this. Uh, when you, when you would upgrade your ship, let's say you had a, a small battle cruiser and you had all these small level one, uh, bombs and you upgrade your ship to level two well now once you do that you can you can mouse over the 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 bomb and if it's a lower level than what your ship is it'll allow you to pay gmus to upgrade that to the next level so that was a huge thing because that made you no longer had to search for level two or level three stuff you can took what you have and upgraded it to that level because you already have the, the, the level previous and that just made a lot of sense and a lot of people like that that's Definitely. that's that's awesome. Let's that, see. Uh, 
Yep, and that was the big thing of that one. So that, that and the, the cost to upgrade is is about 150, it's 150% of the difference between the two, what the, what the cost is. So it's a little more expensive to do that way versus just buying a level two item. So buying a level one and then upgrading it would cost you 50%, 50% more than if you were just to buy the level two outright. But at least you have that option and the level ones don't go to waste. You know, it, it, it can, you can keep your, your modules and bay items up to date with your ship a lot easier now, as long as you have the, the, the money to do it. Let's see. And then, oh, the other thing, uh, on the 21st, uh, I had a lot of complaints about the people saying that they always pick the same three items. You'd always pick the radar for the plant lander because that's a given. You have to have that. Uh, usually you get the armor for um, your away team because that helps your away team. And then you would pick one of the other ones. Well, people thought it was unfair because everyone picked the same thing and there was no reason to pick anything other than those. Well, now there is. So basically what I've done is each of those things that you can select now have a value from zero to four. The the lower the value, the more better the item is because that gives you no extra uh, score bonus. So like if you pick the radar, it's a zero, which means you don't get any score bonus. If you pick something that has a value of four, at the end of the game, you get a 4% increase in your total score. So if you were to pick three things that were all fours and just grinded through it and played it that way, at the end of the game, instead of you know scoring 50,000 points, you would get 12% more. So there's now a reason why you might want to try picking different items to increase your score versus taking the same things over and over. Oh, I see. That's, that's, that's different. Changes the meta a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it does. And there's some more things I want to do with that as well. Uh, that I the the when you would leave orbit from the planet, I got rid of the three second delay. Uh, that the reason for that was that there was a all the like the snow and the rain were particles, and I couldn't get the particles to disappear in time. They would actually show up on the second screen while I finally figured out how to do that. So once again, learning how to use Game Maker. So now there is no delay. As soon as you leave a planet, there's no three-second countdown to leave. It leaves immediately. And let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, you now can save your sound preferences. So if you set your sound for 50% on all three things differently, you know, or whatever you do, each time you, you uh, leave the game, it saves those stats, but it's not part of the saved game. So if you start a new game, it remembers what your sound things were and so, and I think, and it also remembers your, uh, what you pick for controls as well. And the, the common encounters now start the, the battle at full speed because there's really no reason not to have it at full speed because you, the faster, the faster you go with the comment, the slower it goes away from you because you're actually telling it. So the faster your speed, the more time you have to, to chop it down. And also with the comments now, uh, which is, wasn't part of this patch, but it was a part of a patch that I did a, a, after that, is now, in addition to getting uh, the research units from the comets, if you shoot the debris, it, there's a small chance that it will give you uh, uh, crystals. So it's another way of getting the, the hard-to-find crystals that you would normally get from an asteroid field. And then uh, I adjusted some of the uh, the speed slowdowns for some of the terrain, like 
moving over the cracks, it slowed you down way too much. So now it only slows you down by 15% versus I think what it was is 40%. So it makes going like on tundra planets that have a ton of cracks in them. It, you don't see that your thing, your, your planet lander slowing down as much. Uh, so that was, that was a good thing. I think because a lot of people complained about that. Okay. And then the June 24th uh, patch 0.46 uh, I increased the length of the nebula encounters by five seconds uh, to enable people to have a little more time because the, the nebulas seemed like the hardest one to get resources from because things were kind of random where they showed up. But in addition to that, I also added a little static yellow charge that shows up one second prior to where that lightning is going to hit. So you can actually see these little, little sparks show up, and then one second later, lightning is going to hit there. So you can actually plan where to move and where to shoot now. And now you can gain, you can probably get three or four times more resources than what you would normally have gotten from a nebula. So that was a big help because a lot of people complained about that. And then on the screen where you're editing your fleet, I added a button that it basically says disperse crew is needed. So when, what it basically does is it takes the, the extra crew from a transport ship or a military, um, the, the, uh, the military train, well, the fighter carrier, because both those holds a lot of crew, and it pushes them over to the battle cruisers first, and then to the cargo ship, and then to the research vessels. But it never takes more than fifty percent of what the maximum is for for the the transports or the uh, the fighter carrier. So it's a way of dispersing your the crew to the ships in need without having to do the click 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 click. click. So. And uh, the planet landers now have auto fire. So just like the, the, the away team, the planet landers will fire as long as the button's down. Nice. Nice. Let's see. Uh, oh, when you're on in combat, there's actually a text that shows how many open slots you have. So when you're in battle and you want you know try to capture a ship, you, then you get the message where well, you have no spot for it. At least you'll know ahead of time because it actually says how many slots you have available in your fleet at the at the time of the battle all right that makes sense yeah and then i lowered the damage done by the chemical and the vaporizer bombs because they were just too big i'm still doing some tweaks on the combat uh but they just were too powerful you could wipe out a ship pretty easily with those uh i also added whether a, sh- a ship device uh or a uh, is a device module is stackable or not because a lot of things that you would use, some can be stacked together and some items can't. So now when you mouse over any of the items at the very bottom, it'll tell you whether it's stackable or not stackable. And an item that's not stackable, you can still put more than one on your ship if you want to. The reason for doing that um, is that if you have two of one item and one gets disabled, you still have one then. So it's like having a backup in case someone hits you with a critical hit and disables one of your modules. So, and that's the biggest reason why I, why bigger ships have four, because you would normally never use four bay items in one battle. Typically you probably use two, maybe three, but it's more of a, I have an extra one in case I get hit. Right. Let's see. And oh, the, the volume for the intro screen is now uh, played at the volume of your preferences as well. So a person that would set their preferences down when they first log into the game and play it, it would be really loud. So now that's in tune with whatever they set for their preferences. Okay, then uh, 
Oh, you're st- you're still allowed to collect resources if your uh, fleet cargo is, is full. It'll let you do it until your planet lander cargo is full. But then when you get back to the from the uh, your planet lander comes back to your fleet, you then have to decide what you want to put in in the uh, jettison chambers to get rid of. So you don't you can stay down there as long as you can until your planet lander is actually full. Yeah. See, and I, I increase the size of the armor and the crew gauges on the in the ship's list when you're in in combat. Uh, they were they were really narrow. They were only like three pixels wide. So unless you were playing in full screen, it, would, it was kind of hard to see. So those are now I think five or six pixels wide. So then this one also had the uh, the big overlay. Now you you're probably familiar with the thing where at the bottom where you could search for civilian outposts yeah uh, this item now there's actually another thing in the right hand corner and it's it's an overlay of eight specific things uh, and basically what it does is it puts an icon around the planet on the thing so you can see whether there are uh, and, and let me go over exactly what they do so the eight things are whether or not you have discovered a planet they'll put an icon on there if you've discovered it then it goes from discovered to visited because you can't visit a planet until you've discovered it. So sure. it'll be either discovered or visited or totally explored. So if you've explored everything in there uh, with the exception of the planets, uh, so if you've, you've gone through and you went to all the nebulas and all the comets and everything else, it's a, the, the, all the ships, the derelict ships, it's going to have an icon that says that that thing has been totally explored. So you'll have those, and that's all kind of one button. Uh, then the other things that it shows is uh, where the wor- where the wormholes are at and what color they are prior to making them into star lanes. Because once they're a star lane, you can see the star lanes on the map anyways. There's an icon for the uh, uh, systems that have research units, whether it be from anomalies, um, comets, uh, planets that have uh, research units, gas planets. There's one that shows all the space stations and also has a secondary icon next to its icon to let you know what type of space station it is, like a dollar sign if it's a commerce, uh, a bunch of little ships if it's a, um, a uh, ship factory. And then the other one is civilian outpost. There's a, a little icon for that. And then, then there's a button for hostiles. So any system that has pirates in it or a race that you're not neutral with. So what? So basically, the way it works is there's a uh, on the right hand side there's a, a thing that lists all of them, and you can check them on or off. And if they're checked on, if that applies to that planet, there'll be an icon around the planet. So there could be as many as is uh, what six icons all the way around the each each star system if they all apply to that. So it's kind of a way of seeing stuff without having to do the other. The other is great for like pinpointing exactly what you're looking for. That's Let's see. Uh, lowered the price for purchasing bombs for the battle battle cruisers. Uh, I'm still debating whether I want to make those a single use item or whether I want to have them be, you know, reusable. I've had people say both both ways about that. So, and let's see. And that was a big patch. So that one, that one's the, re- the end of that one. And I only got one more one one more left here. Um, so. This is the one where um, it has to do with the, the, the combat balancing a little bit. 
where it shows the, when you're on the diplomacy screen, it now shows how quickly the other races are getting towards getting the, the bigger ships. So basically the, the gauges work like this. They, all the other races now only start with small ships, period. All they can do are small ships. Then they get to a certain a star date, and that date's dependent upon the skill level you're, you're playing at and that race's technology level and, and whether they're your main enemy or not, and a little bit add to what zone they're at, too. So basically, they go from uh, – the gauge will be – initially, it'll just say small ships, and then there'll be a, a gauge that says small, medium, and then there'll be a gauge that starts to go from, from, the, from the left to the right, and that's how close you are to getting to having – the medium ships for the races for that race. When it gets to the far right, they then unlock medium ships. The gauge will still now say it will still say small to medium, but then to the left of that, it'll now say that they can build small and medium ships. And then that gauge becomes a gauge as to what percentage of the ships that you see will be small versus medium. And that gauge continues to fill up until it gets to Large, and then the same thing happens. It flips over from large to, to huge, and then you get to a point, point at the end of the game where the other ships are huge once they get past a certain star date, and then the, the gauge goes away once they've got all huge ships. So it's kind of a way of knowing where the other races are at and getting to the next level as far as the, the size of their ships. And that was actually kind of a, a big patch, and that one I just did uh, not too long ago. And that's it for what's in it now. And then I got the one patch I'm working on now. I don't know if you want to know information about that or not. Of course. But this one, uh, this is the one that's going to add. Right now, the ba- the battle cruisers have like six, seven, eight different types of bombs that they can use, and all the other ships have just one item. It's either a re- for the cargo ship. It's a repair drone. Uh, it's a research uh, drone for the the research vessel, which really doesn't do any good combat-wise, but what it does do is it lets you get extra research, of course, then you can still research on the other ships. Uh, so each one only has one. Well, now they're all getting a second one. So the cargo ships are going to be getting a charged drone. Now, what that will do is it will uh, immediately send a drone out to one of your friendly ships, and it will. Uh, and all these have four levels like all the rest. There's a level one, two, three, and four of each of these. At level one, it will immediately give each uh, of the weapons and the bay item an extra 10% boosting its charge. So if it's currently at 25%, it would now be at 35%. And those percentages go up with the level of the uh, drone. So it goes from 10% to 20% to 30% to 40%. So a level four uh, charge drone will give all both of your weapons and your bay item a 40% boost, which is pretty good. It's almost half. So if they're getting close to being charged up, it could immediately charge them up, and then you can then immediately fire them. So it's, it becomes a little more of a offensive uh, threat versus a defensive by using the research drone or the or the uh, the repair drone. So it kind of gives the the cargo ships a different feel for what they can do now. Now the science vessel, which basically didn't do anything for combat, now they they're going to be getting a virus probe. Now what that does is it will uh, randomly infect one of their two weapons. They're either their long or their short range, and it will immediately set the recharge back to zero. So if they have two weapons that are almost charged up, well, then you fire a, a virus on it, and one of those weapons is, are going to go down to zero. 
And then at higher levels, uh, at level one, you, it's going to affect just one weapon. Uh, at level two, it still only affects one weapon, but you also have a chance um, of it affecting uh, their bay item. At level three, it still only affects one weapon, but it has a really good chance of affecting their – it does affect their bay item. And then at level four, it has a chance of also uh, negating any special ability that they have going on at that particular time, except for cloak, because obviously if they're cloaked, you can't fire at them. So it kind of gives science vessels a, a kind of a, a cool, uh, you know, difference of what they can do compared to just being a, I'm just going to sit back and not do anything and try to collect research units because they really had no impact on the battle. And the transport ship is going to get a shield generator. So basically you can uh, create a, sh a, sh a shield generator on a friendly ship. And it will basically create a shield around that ship for either two, three, four, or five seconds. And that shield will protect the ship from the next hit and it'll give, give no damage. But then once it's hit, the shield goes away. The exception to that is a critical hit. A critical hit will destroy the, the shield, but will, it will only do regular damage. So it's, it kind of negates the, the, uh, the critical part of the critical hit. So you, then you just take normal damage. So that's kind of important. You use that with some other things. You can make a ship, you know, pretty, you know, unstoppable with, with that. And then the last is the fighter carrier. So the fighter carrier is now going to have the ability to launch a missile barrage. So most, all, all the other weapons are instantaneous. You, you would use the weapon and it would complete the outcome of, of what you just did. This works like the the, the fighter squad, you launch the missiles, they're going to be probably two to three times faster than the fighter squad, so they're going to go fast, but you can target them. You can move them just like you would, you know, at any point. You can, they're basically guided missiles, and they do damage. They'll do 10, 20, 30, or 40 damage uh, once it hits an enemy ship, and you don't really target the ship. It will, as soon as it makes contact with an enemy ship, it will, it will blow up. So it's kind of a cool thing, but they only they don't have, they only have one armor. So any hit on them will destroy them. But later on, there's, there's, you're going to have ways of actually being able to, to put uh, shields on them as well. But that's down the road in probably three, four months down the road with, with some DLC that I'm looking at, at bringing out. And the, all the DLC that I'm going to have, I don't believe I'm going to be charging for. I think it's going to be part of the game. Um, uh, and that's it. Oh, also uh, what's added is uh, when you're on the screen to start a new game and you mouse over the skill levels, it now tells you what that skill level will start you at as far as how many ships you start with, what type of ships, uh, what level the, the other eight, the races start at, uh, how many of this you have, how many of that you have. So it gives you it lists 13 different things that you – so you have an idea of how you're going to start the game before you start the game. And that was kind of one, one, of, one of the things that was kind of missing. And then the last thing is that uh, all fighter squads that are launched will launch with a shield. Same thing. One hit destroys it. A critical hit takes normal damage, just like the, the shield that the, uh, that the transport ship is the transport ship gives. Yeah. So all fighters launch with that. So fighters become a little bit more important in the game because before you could take, they could take one hit and they'd be gone. Now they're going to at least take two hits before they're destroyed. So 
the fighter squads are going to become a little bit more important. Uh, and I also up their, uh, their damage that they do uh, a little bit as well. And that's, uh, that's it. That's what I'm, that's the next patch that I'm working on. So, so many quality. Of okay, uh, okay. Okay. So I, I, I could barely keep track of the things you were saying. I can barely keep track of what I'm wearing or, or doing from one moment. How do you keep track of all of these variables that go into all of these moving parts? Do you have a Bible flow charts? I mean, how do you, how do you, uh... I, uh, I'm not going to tell you that I put it in my brain cause I don't put it in my brain. I have everything, every patch that I'm doing, I'm, I, I keep a, uh, a record of it so I know what I've been doing uh, and exactly when I did it. But then when I start something, I make notes in there. Like I had, I had started this patch uh, like a week ago, and then I had two critical errors that, that were happening that I had to fix because they were, they were, they happened, they would, they would happen a lot. It happened anytime you'd start a game in, in uh, difficult or insanely hard it would cause a crash every time. So I had to get that fixed. So I had to do an emergency patch, which means I kind of had to backpedal a little bit on what I had been doing. So it kind of made it difficult, but that's that doesn't usually happen. I usually don't do like big chunks and then have to revert back to doing something small in the middle of doing a big, big update. So, but yeah, it's it's difficult to keep track. I just have to. Uh, I write a lot of stuff down. I, I put a lot of stuff on my computer uh, to keep track of, and I put a lot of comments in my code. So and I can I can the code can be placed pretty well uh, as far as uh, with, with GameMaker. You you create trees and stuff, and you can put them in directory. So everything is really I word everything really well, so I know what it is, and I put it in where I think it belongs, so I can find it later. <laughs> Well, I mean, you've done such an impressive job, and there's so much going on in this game. But one thing I wanted to say that's really impressive, uh, Spaz and I have talked about this a lot, uh, the game has an over 100-page manual, which is also kind of a throwback to uh, those olden days of gaming. Seriously, folks, not only is the tutorial, like, hours long in a good way, it, like, takes you through the game and holds your hand a little bit, but not too much. You know, the tr- I wanted to say that's also really nice, but the fact that you have uh, such a dense manual is just amazing. So, folks, this is not a difficult. You like you might be watching the video and going, "Oh God, there's so much there." But you have here's why I love you. you: have not only a manual, and you have a tutorial. You have tool tips for everything. Can I just say mm-hmm. how much I love that? Seriously, yes, because. Yes. I am a I, I'm a something of a UI nut, and and I love tooltips. I love, love, Me too. <laughs> love tooltips. And folks, seriously, he's got not only a tooltip for everything, but like there's a help little like if I remember correctly, there's a question mark that like helps yep. explain every screen you come across yeah. in the game. So like, did that take up a ton? That must have taken up a ton of time. To, to put all that together because it's a lot of writing. Yeah, I did that you know, near the end, obviously, because, you you know, and right now a lot of that stuff's out, out, outdated to a certain point because I've added so much new content that the tutorial doesn't go over a lot of things I've added. So it's like, and I've been trying to keep it up to date, but it's like, I just can't keep up. So, 
Yeah, I, I, that's fair. Now let's talk about the different. Um, what would you call them? Modules, game modes, mini games. What would what would you call these varied activities I, you do in the game? I just call them encounters. Okay. For lack of a better word, I mean it's okay. an encounter of some type. So you know, that's what I call them encounters. So okay. Well, there are folks. There are why about a half a dozen different types, maybe almost a dozen. Because yeah, you, because yeah. let's see, you have you can land on. This is the most starflighty part of the game to me is the planetary landing. To me, yeah, I love that part. I love it too. I gotta say, I love it too. I so much. I love. I want to land on every planet I can just to do that. Um, so there's the planetary landing part, but there's also the um, the finding a wormhole part uh, encounter. There's the nebula encounter. There's the asteroid field encounter. There's the sun encounter. Um, God, what else is there? Comet. Comet. God, right. Comets. Derelict ships. Derelict ships. And distress ships. There's there's multiple types of ships. Derelicts, distress ships, where you can get... I think it's distress ships that you can actually get crew from. Uh, You get crew from both. The difference between the two is that a distress ship is being attacked by an invader and a oh. uh, damage ship needs to be repaired. So, which, so damage ships will always require you to, to immediately use your fire extinguisher and then your right. toolbox because there's not going to be any aliens out there. A distress ship means, hey, we're being invaded by an alien. Please help us. And they both give you uh, crew, typically. Oh, okay. but, and there's like eight different types of those type of ships, uh, and some of them give you different things. Like if it's a research vessel, you'll get research. Uh, if it's a cargo ship, you're going to get uh, some, probably some cargo and items. Some vessels have multiple levels, you, you, you cruel yeah, son of a yeah. gun. Oh, my God. <laughs> that could be insane if you got, like, six fires going on at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had to deal with that once. There was, like, one level had two fires, and the other level, like, things were breaking and about to turn on fire. Yeah. yeah. So the like, trick ah. that, just so everyone knows, is that, all the stuff that's happening on a level that you're not on happens at about one one third, one fourth the speed at the current the current position that you're at. So if you're on a level the lowest level, don't go back and forth between levels because then they'll start everything will start to go quicker. Stay at one level, clear out all the stuff, put out all the fires, uh, fix all the stuff, then go to the other level, and then by that time you, they will have taken some damage, but not as much because everything goes slower on the level that you're not vis- currently on. So it's good to know. Yeah, yeah, I did not know that. That is that is very very good to know. <laughs> so that's what eight nine right there, and that's not counting the combat yeah. or the stations. Yeah, um, you got all you got six six space stations, which all have different things that they offer. They all sell certain things, but. Uh, they all have a purpose. So, yeah, and every one of these modes, uh, my friends, can get you something that you need, whether it's materials from a planet, science from a, a nebula or a sun, uh, or gases. Um, yeah, it'll always get you something you need to do an upgrade uh, or um, upgrade your stats. And so they're they all working directly. Yeah, because yeah. you can find these uh, these energy spikes on planets, and you go and explore, and maybe you'll find some ruins with an artifact or two. Which is and an you old can space shuttle. In. I love I love that yeah. some of the ruins are like old space shuttles. Yeah, I just, I just love that. <laughs> yeah, 
and there's going to be another one coming soon. So, but another another Ooh. thing I, I wanted to say about uh, usability besides the tooltips is you have like four control methods, which is really nice because giving users choice is always a good thing. Yep. Um, but you have all these other little nice touches that I love. Like one of my favorite things, it's a small thing. But one of my favorite things is when you're on a planet and you have these different like up to what eight or nine different landing zones you can be at, you, you can go to. Yeah. On a planet, you can just hit number 1 to go to that one. Then when you're done with that one, you just hit 2 to go to that one. You don't have to go back and forth to the ship if you don't want to. If you still have room. It's just and you want you want another trick of, of the, the planet exploration? Yeah. So you know how you go to a planet and there would be like seven or eight research nodes? Yeah. You want to re- you want to go one right after another? Go to the top one, the, the very top one, clear it out. And once you clear it out, you can hit the, the left mouse button, and then instead of firing, it will take you to the next node. What? So, yeah, that, that I added in one of the patches. And that, a lot of people don't realize that you can do that. So whenever you the, the, the area is clear, the, right mouse, the, the left mouse button no longer fires. It takes you to the next node in the list. For God's sakes. And that's really useful because you can just zip, 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 zip right through them all. That, oh my God, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You don't have to key it all down. <laughs> oh my God. No, that is, that is great because, I mean, that's just another little quality of life UI thing that like and it's, a lot of people don't even, a lot of bigger games don't even think of little things like that. Yeah. Oh. I like to make it convenient because when I'm playing a game, I want to play it as efficiently as possible, and you know, it, that's just what I like to do. So you said you worked on this for what about four years? Yeah, the the the, the last part where I kind of changed it from being more of a Star Control two clone to being what it is, probably about two and a half to three years. Yeah. And I, I've noticed that the, um, the the community on Steam has been pretty positive. Uh, yeah. Toward the game, and I've been finding that they've been very helpful in uh, finding bugs and suggesting fixes yeah. and stuff like that. Yep, and being being patient. Of course, I I fix things really quick. The, the the bad part of that is sometimes I I rush to get something out and I break something else, and that happened that happened twice. It's like oh crap. So I, at one point I had to I had to backtrack and go back to the previous version while I could fix the other thing, and it took me like a week to fix it. So I actually went from from version what point four six or point four seven. I had to go back one. So all right, so that happens. Gamers are a finicky lot, us us folk. But the thing is, if you make a good faith effort to try and fix your shit, and, yeah. and you're cl- and you're transparent about it, we can be the most patient bastards on the planet, as long as we know <laughs> stuff is being fixed. Yeah. And so, and, and looking at the patch notes, it's obvious that yeah, exactly. Obvious to anyone who just looks at the patch notes, all those announcements, yeah, it's. I see right now eight positive reviews, none negative on Steam. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that shows. Sadly, there's not enough yet to give you like a mostly positive rating. It doesn't look like, but we'll, I think you have to be on there two months. Oh, really? <laughs> It's not. Yeah, it's not a. It's not an amount of review thing. It's a timing thing. It's a timing. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't. Yeah, I, I never. I, knew I read that. that somewhere. I was looking over and it says, you know, after sixty days, it'll start giving you. It'll start telling you. You know. Yeah. So it's sixty days. And you know what's nice? There's a plugin called Enhanced Steam. I don't know if you've heard of it. 
it will te- it will tell you when you go to a Steam page. It adds a lot of things to a Steam page, like a link to SteamDB and a bunch of a very a bunch of very useful things. But one thing it does is it tells you when the last uh, database update to the game was made. Basically, when the last time the game was patched. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you get a clear indication, like, oh, this game was patched. Like right now, I just looked at your page two days ago. That's great. Yeah. And then you go to some other games. This game was last patch 1,176 days ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, oh, maybe I don't want this game. <laughs> maybe it's been abandoned. Yeah. It's you irritating know? to buy a game and then not see the developer do anything to you know, improve it. Exactly. Because games aren't like they were before. Back in the 80s, when you made a game, if you had a, a, a bug in the game, the, that bug was in that game forever. It just yeah. it's the way the, the game like, was. I think the first game I ever, I think the first game I ever got with a patch was Red Baron, and wow. I think you had to specifically write into Sierra, and the only way you knew about the patch is if you registered the game. Remember, you had to do that with a little postcard. Yep, uh, that's why you did that because you wanted to get updates. Yeah, and yeah, then they they they'd either like mail you a thing like, "Do you want this patch with a floppy?" and like, "Yes, I do," or they would just like. I think I had to mail in for a flopper to be mailed back to me. I think. Yeah. And so I think that was the first game that ever I, I got a patch for. What was that, 89? 88? When the hell was Red Baron? Oh my god. Um, it was like 80-something. Late 80-something. I can't remember off the top of my head. But I mean, uh, now, I mean, does Steam make it easy to patch the game? I, I've heard mixed oh, about... Oh, Oh, yeah, it's... I can if I just have to make like a small change, like a text change, it takes me within within an hour. I can have the, the change done, uh, upload it. Uh, I always make it uh, active on the beta first because my my account is, for, uh, is set up for the beta. I test it in the beta, and then I just go into the the Steam you know website, the SDK Software Developers Kit website, and just say, okay, I want to make this build active for live, you know, or the, they call it default. There's default and beta. So I make it live for beta first, test it on my end, and then I make it live for the other. So it's Wait a really minute. easy. Then you, oh, and then you can go back. Like I said, I had to go back that one time. I just went back to the the previous build and made that the, the default. So it actually went ah, back a step. That's, so it keeps – yeah. No, that's really good. efficient. Actually, now, I, I just thought of something because I get a lot of you know press keys, and a lot of them say something, something, something for beta testing. And does that mean that yeah. I would also have access to that beta branch as a as a beta tester? Is that yeah, right? if you go into the – you know how to set the uh, – the change the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. settings on the game? It, yeah. You should see beta branch there available. Oh, my gosh. I, 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 but see if, you, see if you do, and if you do, you can always do the beta. But the beta is, is, is usually – well, that, you know, if you want to try it out, you can. Uh, but I I always like to, you know, test it out myself first, make sure there's no bugs. But if you're comfortable with having a – the beta version, which could have a bug in it, because I'm, it's it's obviously not on live for a reason. But yeah, you could do that. You could set it for that. That's you can see what I'm working cool. on. That's pretty awesome, yeah. actually. So, um, so how? Remind me, how many races are in this game? There's 45 Holy races currently. <laughs> oh, currently, we'll get to. It seems like you have more planned, huh? Yeah, currently. Yeah, I got I got three things planned. I don't know if you're ready to. to Dive into those. Not yet, not yet. I, yeah, I want okay, to talk about perfect. the current game, but because okay. um, each race has a different ship with different yep. capabilities, and and 
So how much work did it, did it take to come up with all these different varied races? Like, like what, took, what would you say took the most time? Was it coming up with all the variables? Was it making the encounters? Was it making all the races? Because there's so me, many races with so many... Graphics are the hardest. Really? Because I'm not a graphic artist. You know, I just... It's just yeah. hard. Yeah. Well, but, the graphics yeah, are actually, just fine, I think. I think yeah. yeah, I mean, it's for a... You know, I had... I, had a lot of people say, well, the graphics aren't really that good, but it's it's not a a, a $39, 49 or $59 no, game. It's a $10, $10 game. game. It's a $10 game. Look at Stardew Valley. Look at its graphics. Are you going to tell me that my game doesn't have better graphics than that? <laughs> hey, which one? It's Stardew Valley. Have you ever played that? Oh, it's, Stardew it's Valley. It's, yeah, it's, it's like one one pixel, one one square of the game is like four by four pixels. It's huge. It's It's chunky, but that's it's pixelated is what it is. So, you know, so my game is kind of in between the old, old style, the 8-bit and the newer stuff. It's, it's the best I could do with doing everything on my own without being a graphic artist. So, you well, know. Well, I mean, the benefit, <laughs> yeah, of the, the benefit of the the more simple, uh, we'll use the word simple, graphics, uh, one, it, it adds to the nostalgia because it kind of looks like those older games. But... Yep. Another thing that I think is very beneficial from a usability standpoint is because the graphics are simple and everything, everything is very easily discernible. Everything mm-hmm. is easily readable. Everything is easily discernible. You can see everything in just a few clicks or at a glance. You know, so I got no problem with the graphics, like, at all. Good. <laughs> it's about the gameplay, stupid. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's my motto. And, yeah, this thing has gameplay in chunks. So now that we've gotten that, oh, and I did want to ask one more thing. Um, you have like kind of a leveling system, like kind of an RPG leveling system. Yeah. So the like in the I was saying the original game that I started, it was there was a big universe and it was always random, and there was all forty five races available at the beginning, and it would pick like seventeen, eighteen randomly. Then when I made the change to go to what I perceived as a, as a better fit for what I wanted to do, which is what the current game is, where you've got these small games that don't take as long. I looked at my races and I'm going, well, how, how do I want to incorporate this to make it so that I can get more longer playability out of the game? So why would a person want to keep on playing the game if they've already seen this race already, you know, early on? So I thought, well, I'll make them, I'll stair-step them. Because originally all the races had the same amount of stat bags as far as, I mean, they were all random, but they all had you know, 40 different values that they had or points that they had to work with. And I would randomly put them in, you know, weapons, uh, shields and so forth. And each one was a certain, would up each one a certain amount. So that's why like with shields, shields either 0, 7, 14, 21 or 28 because each point value towards shields gives you a 7% increase. So as you go up in races, the, the, the bottom races have like just 10 points you get to a level nine race, they have like 40 points. So they are, they are considerably better, but the steps in between are not that big where it makes it difficult to get there. And the other thing uh, I want to point out that a lot of people are uh, have a misconception about uh, is that to unlock a race in that tree, you don't need to defeat that race as the enemy. All you have to do is to, to defeat that race's star base period. So they could be just a regular race in the game. So if you played a game, your first game, played as one of the top level one races, 
then selected all five of the level two as the ones you want to play against because there's a way that you can you can uncheck ones from being uh, selected as random. And I don't people don't realize that as well. You can right mouse button click on a on the the thing and it will actually uncheck it so that that will not be used as a random race. So there's a way of pinpointing which races you want or don't want as part of the randomness, the random, random races selected. So if you have all five of those races and they all happen to be neutral or, or worse against you, you could conceivably in the first game unlock the first level by beating the main enemy and then four, the other four as hostile races in the first game. Oh, my God. So that kind of changes things, doesn't it? Yeah. It makes it a lot easier to get there. And then once you unlock that one, then you can now you can you can always play as a race that you defeated. But then once you unlock all five, you then can uh, play against the next level up. So you go from being able to play against level two to the level three ones. And then then what happens is part of your score is based upon the level difference between the race that you're playing as and the race that you're playing against as the main enemy. So if you if you unlock level a level nine and you want to play as a level one race versus a level nine race at insanely hard, you've just made the game way harder because you now are playing with a ship that only has 10 stats versus a ship that has 40 stats and you're playing at the insanely hard level. So there's, there's other things that you can do to make the game harder for you without changing the skill level. That's pretty insane and pretty yeah. awesome. So, uh, now that we've talked about all that, let's get to the nitty gritty of what's coming next. Cause you've, you've mentioned a few times that you want to talk about it. So I can tell your champion at the bit to tell us what's coming next. So just hit us with it. Yep. So once I get this, the next, the thing I'm working on now done, which is probably going to take another week or so, I'm, I've already done part of the work, but, uh, these were originally going to be, going to be DLCs and I kind of named them, but like I said, I'm just going to put them in as, as regular content. And whether I, I make them as a DLC that's free where a person can decide whether they want to play with it or not. I'm not sure I want to do that, but I haven't decided yet. So the first one, it's, it's, it was called Planets Plus. And basically what it is is it it uh, introduces these, this race called the Rift Riders. And basically what they did is they would they would ride the rifts in, this, in time space to move around the, the universe to get places really quick. And what they did is they had these really cool relics that were real powerful that they've hidden in caves on planets. So basically what's going to happen is you're going to go to a planet. And if you see one of these caves, you can then go to the, take your plant lander to the cave. And when you do that, you then go to a new screen and you now are using your away team for another thing besides just doing this, the ships, you now use your away team in either, you know, one, two, three, four, or five, depending upon your, you know, how, how big your away team is. And then they, they can explore the, the cave. And inside the cave, there's going to be things that you can pick up, but you're going to find pieces of blueprints for these awesome relics that will do certain things. Uh, and each each relic will have three pieces of the of the uh, blueprints that you have to pick up: piece one, piece two, piece three. Once you have all three, you combine them together, and then you have to use resources, which will probably involve metal uh, and probably some e- extract. Uh, maybe some power crystals to actually create that object. And right now I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve 
relics done, and I want to have about 21 when, I, when everything's all said and done. But during one game, you'll never see more than three or four relics at a time. Uh, so I'm thinking of maybe doing doing four, which would give you eight, 12 different caves because each cave will – well, I'm, well, I may do more than that because I'm thinking of putting more than one one piece in a cave. So I may put two or three pieces in a cave of different – not the same artifact, but pieces of different artifacts so that you can kind of start getting – you know, and as you move down um, to the zones – uh, there'll be more and more caves. So there'll be, you know, there'll be some caves in the earlier, the easier ones as well as the later ones as well. And do you want to know what some of the relics are? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. So uh, the first one, the, the, these two are kind of hand in hand. There's a, a side flank relic and a rear flank relic. Basically what it does is whatever damage that your ship would normally take, uh, let's say a person is, is, shooting you at 25% uh, rear flank, it would only be 12.5%. It would half whatever they would normally do against you. <coughs> and that would, would have, would, the, the side flank would affect the side flank and the rear flank would affect the rear flank. Now, one thing I didn't mention in one of the previous uh, things is I, I changed the, the amount of the, the side flank to be not as big. So from the front, you have to get further over to the side before you get to a side flank. Because I had a lot of people complaining, well, it was too easy to side flank somebody. So, so those are the first two relics. Then there's a ship upgrade relic. So basically what this does is that when you're upgrading a ship to a, a larger size, you have a 25% chance that each bay item, whether it be a, a, a bay item or a, a, a ship device, has a 25% chance of being upgraded as well. So if you have, you know, one in each slot, you know, you have a chance of, of you know, that being upgraded with, with, at no cost. Uh, there's the battle radar sensor relic. Uh, this allows you, uh, when you're in the combat mode, to see the uh, entire path of the uh, enemy ship. So now you can see all 500 pixels instead of only 125 pixels. So you can see exactly where they're going to go, not just where they're starting to go. Which will, it's not a big thing, but it'll give you an uh... idea of, of where their where their final intention of being is at. Because if they have a, you know, they only, it only shows like the first hundred hundred pixels. You can't always tell. You can see where they're starting to turn, but you don't know whether they're going to start to go straight or continue to turn. So this gives you the same length as your lines. Their lines become the same same length. Then there's the uh, weapon overcharge relic. What this will do is uh, when a weapon becomes charged, like let's say you have a ship that's near the back and it's it's all charged up, but it's not even close to being in range. From the from the aim menu, there's going to be a thing for that weapon to uh, uh, if you haven't used your the this relic yet, or it's not being used, because you can use it as many times as you want, but it can only be used once at a, one a, once at a time. You can then flag that particular weapon to go into overcharge, and what it does, it keeps charging. So once it gets, it'll keep on charging. So when you use it, you'll get that percentage of the damage. So if it's charged at 175 percent, you're going to get 75 percent more damage out of that weapon. So it's a way of of getting more. Uh, you know, damage out of a weapon that may, normally may not do a lot of damage because it's already in the back. It's, it's out of range. It's fully charged. You're just wasting charge time. So you put it into over overcharge, but you can only have one weapon in overcharge at a time, you know, for your entire fleet. So you have to kind of be careful when you do that. Then the other one is the planet lander weapon scope. So this allows you to actually shoot your planet lander through obstacles. 
so you can shoot through rocks. Right now, uh, rocks have like an 80% chance of stopping your shot. Trees have like a 60% chance. Uh, so you you can shoot through all the obstacles. Then you're going to have a, a crystal extract converter. This will allow you to convert like two common into to one rare, uh, two rare into one exotic, but they have to be the same type. So like two crystals or two gas extracts. So it's a way of, of converting what you have into what you really need of that particular type. And you can also convert it the other way as well. You can go from one rare to two exotic, one exotic to two common, and go back the other way as well. Then the plant lander toxic shield. Uh, in addition to the, the fires and, and all that stuff, some planets have toxic clouds, which a lot of people didn't realize. So you, your plant, it doesn't do a lot of damage, but you would go over a cloud and your, your plant lander would get that sound and you'd have that yellow thing around your plant lander letting you know that you've got, you're taking damage. With this toxic shield, those don't do any damage at all. And then the, the plant lander bio a transport cage. So what this does is uh, it allows you to transport life forms uh, with your plant lander without having to stun them first. Um, and what's coming up soon, too, is that you're going to have the ability that once you stun a life form, you can actually pick it up with, the, with the, uh, your plant lander. You don't need to transport it. If you transport a stunned animal, it will go to your fleet. So it's a way of getting life forms without taking up any more space in your in your cargo. If your cargo is full, you could still get more and just send them to your you know to the uh, your fleet. Uh, but with this, it's going to allow you to to instead of having to stun the, the the life form first, especially if you're doing like the the uh, the snow pegasus is real fast or the the, the spastic Kumaxter, uh, uh, it's really fast and does a lot of damage. With this device, you could use the transporter, hit it with a transporter once, and it'll transport that animal into your 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 plant lander into, inside the cage. So it becomes yeah, very very useful. Then wow. there's the uh, repair drone concentrator relic. What this will allow you to do is it will allow you to uh, use the repair drones on your fighter squads. Because right now you can't do yeah. that. And a lot of people oh, keep saying, well, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Well, it's because I want to add more content that will allow you to do that. That's why you can't do it right now. So you got to leave things that can be done later without giving everything out all at once. That's fair. Then there's going to be the, the got to keep oh, go uh, excitement going. Yeah, exactly. Uh, then there's the ship duplicator. So this will allow you to, uh, using resources, which will probably include using metals and uh, extract of some kind, you'll be able to duplicate any module that's in your uh, on a ship or in your inventory. So, you know, if you have a, a, a you know a bomb that you wanted to get more of, you can just duplicate them if you have enough resources. And then we have the missile barrage shield. This will allow your missiles to launch just like the fighter squads with a shield. So I kind of alluded to that earlier. So that's, this is going to be a relic. Uh, and that's all the relics I have so far. I'm probably about halfway done with the relics. That's going to be the next thing I do. Then after that, I'm probably going to go to, I have two more things. Uh, the one I'm going to go to next is probably going to be the monsters and meteors. What that's going to do is I'm going to add um, these special monsters that show up in a, a star system. And it'll be like, like one of them is called uh, electromagneto. It's basically a lightning blob. Uh, that you'll see, and when you go into contact, it'll be a, a you know a regular fleet combat, but instead of against ships, you would be against this one big monster. So it's kind of like a big boss. 
Uh, and each of these are going to have different types of weapons that you haven't seen before. Like the, the electromagneto will fire uh, lightning bolts that will basically uh, cause damage to your ship and also will have a chance to uh, reset the counters on, on your weapons or your bay items, which would really kind of suck. Uh, the, the ionic will fire ion burst. There's going to be a plasmanoid that will fire you know, plasma clouds. There's going to be a, a creature called the Paramite, which is basically a, a pyramid mechanical robot that uh, it'll fire uh, damage drones at you that will continue to do damage on your ships uh, unless they're destroyed. Yeah, and then it, it can use these uh, repair drones to heal itself as well. So it's kind of like a, um, a really bad robotic-type creature that you probably don't want to get in contact with. Then there's one called the Octo, which is going to be an eight-armed creature that will fire a black gooey substance. I uh, haven't figured out exactly what, I, what, what the effect will be, but it's going to be like a big octopus out in space. Uh, Cylandro will be a cylinder-shaped creature that's going to fire these crystal shards at you. Uh, once again, I haven't figured out exactly what, what you know, it will do as well as far as damage. Uh, the Replicator. This one is really cool because it has the ability to replicate itself uh, and make a copy of itself uh, at 50% of its current health. So if you don't get it down in health, and it, makes, and it can do it every so often, I don't know exactly how long it will take, but uh, it'll be able to replicate another one of itself, and there'll be two of them then, and then there could be three of them. And then they, they, they all could replicate each other, so you have to really hit them down quickly um, before they re- start replicating too many times. Then the multi-dim, which is a multi-dimensional creature, uh, basically what it does is in addition to itself, it's going to project two other images of itself, and you don't know which one is which. So so if you fire at one and it's not it, it will just go right through it You and it will do no damage. Once you hit it and you find out where it's at, it will stay there until it uses its special ability, which will be to move again. So you have to, then you'll have to do the same thing, try to figure out which one is which. And the last one's called the, uh, the it's basically it's an energy ball. Uh, it'll use, uh, basically, if you, if you hit it with a kinetic weapon, then it makes it grow. So if you have a fleet that has nothing but kinetic weapons, you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> you have to oh, be using geez. a lot of bombs on it. You'll probably be using, like, yeah, yeah it, it would not be a good thing. So, and that's kind of what I've gotten, got planned for, for that. Uh, but that's, that's down the road. And then the last thing uh, that I'll be adding is going to be called Elite Enemies. So basically what it does is each, each level of the, the races, like level one, level two, level three, once you've opened that up, each one of those boxes, would, so there'll be nine totally, will have a, an elite race that you can battle against that will be about 25 to 35% uh, stronger than any of the other ones in that particular level. So it, it will also give you a bonus towards your score for playing against this race. You can never play as them, and they will never show up as a race uh, other than your main enemy. So it's kind of like an elite you know, Ooh. enemy to fight against. And they'll have, you know, increased stats and uh, just be, they'll just be all out nasty to, to play against. But that's the last thing. And those are the things I've kind of had planned in the next probably six months or so. And then what? Then uh, I've got, uh, I've always been working on different games. I, I never stay in one game for, you know, for a long time. This is the longest I've been on one game without actually kind of doing other stuff. I've, 
I I started doing a uh, a curling game after the last Winter Olympics, which has been almost four years ago. Uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with curling. Yeah, the thing that you slide you slide um, yeah. you slide a thing exactly. across the ice. Yeah, and you have to. So be I did accurate. a curling yeah. game, which actually is pretty far along. With the Winter Olympics coming in February of next year, I'm debating whether I want to try to get that done in time for for the Winter Olympics, or I. I've been working on another idea of uh, one of my favorite games that most recently uh, is Civilization Five and Six and XCOM Two. Uh, when have you guys played the one? Probably have. I, I have. Assume. Okay. I haven't played so, six. Okay. Well, XCOM Two. Uh, I started playing Long War, which I really like because it stretches the game out. But one thing I, that makes it difficult is that that the, the the combats can take a long time. So, you know, it, 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 everything moves really, really slow. So I'm kind of leaning towards making a XCOM-ish type game, but changing a lot of things up. Still have the thing where you, you send out, you know, your guys and you still have to, you know, make their, their stats better and, and do stuff. But instead of doing, like, the type of battle that they do, I want to kind of do, and no one's ever done this, I want to do, like, a a different type. It's a, it's a kind of a hexagon battle with, with matching hexes, but it's it's not the same. And it, I've kind of drawn it all out, and it's really kind of hard to, to describe, but it, it would be a way of making the, the part of the battle between the two... Uh, different squads go a lot faster because some, some of those battles in XCOM two take a long time to, to play out in yeah. you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes, an, an hour. And it's like, man, and, and I still, I've got four more queued up to be, be played still that are going to be coming up. So I've been thinking, tinkering with that idea. So anyhow, that all sounds really awesome, dude. Uh, no, that sounds great. Um, well, there. Do you think there might be? This will be my last question. Do you think there might be a sequel? I mean, you have a lot of content planned for this one, but do you think there might be another one down the road? Yeah, if I if I did, I would probably uh, maybe make it a little more storylined. Uh, one thing that's different about the one I was going to do versus the the original Star Control Two is that. While it kind of had a story, it each time you played it, it was different. So it was Ooh. kind of like the kind of like the races. The races would have you little. Uh, basically, the way it was is that your your reputation was all varied, but by doing things, you could alter that, and you could you could get races to like you and some that didn't like you, and races that didn't like each other, helping one would make the other one dislike you as well. And the amount of dislike depend upon their relationship with that race that you were being good with or bad with versus yours. So it was this really complex thing of trying to balance out, you know, do I, I want to make someone like me again? Uh, you know, and the, it had this little gauge that would show you how close you were to, you know, going from neutral to being liked to being disliked. To, and then your ultimate goal was to win the game by, by getting, I think, uh, five or six people to be your allies. 
that's how the game was won. Or if you ended up, uh, you know, having too many that, that disliked you, you would lose a game. I had a lot of things going on. I might, I might revisit that and maybe go back to the old um, style of, you know, top over combat with, you know, the scrolling screen and the, the one-on-one ship, but then have a smaller fleet probably. But sounds a little bit like uh, Drox Operative, if you don't mind me saying so, because Which, you have that kind of op- in Drox Operative, you sort of have that you're just one ship in a forex being played around you. But mm-hmm. one of the ways you can possibly win is to get all of the races to ally with each other. Yeah. Yep. Which is really awesome when it happens. Yeah. Really, really awesome. Now that sounds great, especially the randomized story elements, because like. If, like, someone made Starflight, but, like, the story was a little different each time, I probably would have played it twice as much. And yeah, exactly. The same thing with Starflight, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, I love that idea. I, I love that idea, and I am 100% behind it. Uh, so, yeah. let's, let's start to wrap up. Uh, we usually try and remember to ask this of our guests. Besides um, the game that you are making, are you playing anything right now? Uh, probably the two I just mentioned, uh, Civilization Six and XCOM Two. Those are the two that I've been playing most recently. So, but I haven't played much of anything else, you know, in the last three or four months. <laughs> so, those are my two favorite games right now. I still need to buy Six. I keep uh, wanting it to come down. I like it. I you know I like Five too because I like the I didn't like the stackable units. I never liked that because it just was terrible. Stacks of Doom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, four it's, is still, just, yeah, four is still my favorite. Sorry, it's, it's yeah. Well, you like stacks, then? I do. Well, it's not saying it's bad necessarily, just no. not for the playstyle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like, exactly. I like the more. Uh, I have to be more careful about where I place things, and, and with Civilization Six, it makes a big difference because you've got the tiles now mean something. Yeah, so cities expand and whatnot, right? So tiles oh, yeah, actually matter. Yeah, and then you got districts, and it's it's yeah. Yeah, I kind of want. I kind of want it just for that alone. Because one thing that's always bugged me about Civilization is like, why is the city just one tile? You know, it's a city for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> so I yep. really, I really like that idea. Uh, Spaz, what about you? What have you been playing? Oh well, uh, I've been playing a roguelite called Monster Slayers, which is. Uh, it's pretty interesting. You you choose one of. Uh, one of these classes of of fantasy warriors or clerics or or rogues, whatever, and send them into multiple dungeons in, in the well, with the main goal of killing off three bosses. Now, being that it's a roguelite, uh, you're going to die a lot. You're going to fail more often than not. Oh, yeah, I've that's... actually played, I'd say, about 60 games or so, and I've won Ooh. about three of them. <laughs> wow. Well, that sounds like a roguelike. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Permadeath. But you do have some meta going on where, oh, where if some you fail... You, yeah. Well, it's it's that you have uh, a couple things going on there. You have persistent skills that you can... You, you earn fame, and then you use those fame points in order to uh, buy skills that upgrade your your further runs. But you also have the equipment that you take in with you. If your character dies, then that equipment is left behind for the next people to possibly take up and run the dungeons again. Funnily enough, if your character survives 
and they graduate from the Hero Academy, then they take that equipment with them as a graduation present. Eh, that's pretty great. Yeah. yeah, I've been meaning to pick that one up. Probably will eventually. Once it's on, like, super sale. Because <laughs> you know me, i got to play oh, all the roguelikes. Before I forget, I did have one uh, possible suggestion for the game. Uh, thought I had was hero characters of some sort, or officers, to, to use the Ooh. term. Maybe in some of these encounters, you could potentially find an officer that would give a small bonus to you know a type of weapon perhaps or you can assign them kind of like in base slots uh, yeah. or not and then that would give you they don't necessarily have to be all that powerful but having a few of them in your fleet you could spread them between your ships and maybe have bonuses where you need them uh, maybe one of them bonus gives a bonus to your fighters because they're a squadron leader uh, something to that effect I actually like that that's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. It'd be fun about the, the, the crash shuttles that you find on the planets. Yeah, or, or in derelicts. Maybe one yeah, an officer derelict. might join you. Because oh, yeah, randomly randomly would join, yeah. You did. Because what you can do is there's, there's when you do an encounter, you can get a perfect score, which means you didn't uh, lose any guys. You could take damage without losing a guy. So you didn't lose any crew. You still have whatever you came with. And you have no rooms got destroyed, and you put out all the fires. That's called, called a, a, a perfect score. And maybe in that scenario, if you did that, maybe you, you get a, a person that would want to join you. Ooh, that that's a great idea. And they could be like your admiral or something. Yeah, this is why you have the, the community help you build a game. So, oh, uh, yeah. No, I, I love hero characters in games like this. I think like games like Conquest uh, Frontier Wars, for example, is made all the better for the admirals and heroes and whatnot that you can add to your fleets. Yeah, I might have to bump that up into the queue then. Uh, I mean, I... even in this case, it could just be something like you get an officer who's not necessarily an admiral or or even yeah. you know just just a little more experienced than your than your typical crew member. And maybe they give a small bonus, like a 5% bonus to lasers if you assign them to a ship. Yeah. And if the ship gets destroyed in battle, guess what happens to the guy? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Huh. I like that idea, actually. Hmm. Very good idea. Sorry, I was replying to someone on YouTube. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up, then. Uh, okay. Folks... Um, next week on the show, we're not sure yet because the guest I offered the day to is not confirmed. So we might have a plan B topic. Not sure yet. Uh, it'll go on the calendar once we're, uh, sure one way or another. Um, but on Thursday, we are going to return to the amazingness that is Deep Rock Galactic. You might have seen us stream this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we uh, already planned to stream it tomorrow and we loved it so much we're like let's just do it again you know because it is so good so much fun so, so good so much fun even even in it's broken ass alpha state pre-alpha state right now it's so great it's so yeah, it's, great it's still in it's still in pre-alpha it's not even in early access yet yeah not officially anyway so yeah it's so good you guys so that's on Thursday so uh 
Walter, I want to thank you so much no, for coming on me. and talking about your game. Get, folks, the game again, Starfleet Armada Rogue Adventures. It is on Steam for $10. And for $10, you get potentially hundreds and hundreds of hours of game. Because this thing is huge. 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 And, yeah, it's worth mentioning. The manual is over 100 pages. 100 pages. And it is worth it. It is worth it to actually just, read through it. Just download the manual and read some of it and go if and, and read some of that. Because you can do that right from Steam. And if you're like, this this speaks to me, then get it. Just get it. Don't even wait for a sale. It's ten dollars, god damn it. Just get it. <laughs> don't even don't even wait for a goddamn sale. It's that's like that's easily impulse territory right there. You'll you'll get so Absolutely. much gameplay out of this. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, Walter, again, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Spaz, thanks as always for being an awesome host. And for everyone who tuned in, thank you for watching and listening. We will see you next week. Have a great night. Bye-bye.